Welcome back to Cargumentative, a Times Live podcast on which we dissect all things automotive. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times, and today in the virtual studio, I'm joined by my colleague Dennis Dropper from BD Motor News. Dennis, how are you doing? Oh, great, thanks, Tom. How are you? It's great to be back in the virtual studio. Yeah, I can't complain. You know, um, spring seems to be in the air, uh, which is which is quite nice, and uh, yeah, it looks like we. Moving into warmer times, um, Brenwin Naidu, who should be with us, sends his, his apologies because uh, he's had connection issues. So I'm afraid it's up to you and I to uh, talk about the news this week. And uh, what's been happening in your side of the world, Dennis? Well, you were talking about the onset of spring, and somebody who's certainly got a spring in their step is a certain gentleman by the name of Brad Binder. Now, South Africa is in the throes of Binder mania after... Our local lad won Sunday's Brno MotoGP in the Czech Republic. And it was a historic occasion because it was the first South African to ever win in the MotoGP class. It was KTM's first win in the MotoGP class. And uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if you watched the race, but it was a really nail-biting affair. Unfortunately, I wasn't, Dennis. I had a prior social arrangement, which I couldn't get out of it. So I was, uh, I was out cramming my face with pizza. Uh, which was the first. Have, haven't been to a, a restaurant since about uh, you know 1892, uh, so that was quite a, a novelty. But I I heard it was a good race. Um, I don't know where Brad Binder started, but uh, my understanding is that he clawed his way through the field. Yes, Tom. Uh, he started seventh on the grid, and he picked off his rivals one by one, including going uh, around the outside of his teammate Paul Espargaro. And then, uh, yeah, it was, it was a real class act. All of a sudden, he was in third place, and, and we held out hope for South African being on the podium. Then he was in second, and then uh, he hauled in the leader, Franco Morbidelli, passed him and won by over five seconds. And I must tell you that those last seven laps or so, was a, it was a proper nail-biting affair. I was holding my breath because in his previous two MotoGPs, uh, Brad was showing very good pace, but he crashed out. And I was just sitting there hoping, please don't crash, please don't crash. Dream come true when he crossed the line first. Amazing. Well, look, I mean, hopefully I can try and find a, um, a replay and a review uh, somewhere on, online or on DSTV or whatever, because um, I would like to see that. I don't know if you watched the Grand Prix as well, because that was actually quite a good, uh, quite a good race for a change uh, in Silverstone. Yes, I did, Tom. So for a change, a Mercedes didn't win it, which which is quite a novelty these days. It so is. Max Verstappen put himself on the top of the podium, and Red Bull. So from that point of view, it was uh, it made things a bit interesting. Although for the Ferrari fans out there, things are looking very grim, unfortunately. Very very bleak. Dark days. Dark days at Ferrari. Um... But motorsport aside, what else has been happening? Have you driven anything interesting? Been on any car launches? Yeah, Thomas, I've been testing a BMW M8 Coupe, which is possibly the most sporty. Not possibly, it is the most sporty uh, sports car that you can get from the from the Bavarian brand. And I took it to Geritech for high performance testing, 
and uh, was surprised to find that it went even quicker, not to 100, than what BMW's claim is. Now, they claim 3.2 seconds, and we managed to nail it in 3.1 seconds, and that's uh, pretty darn fast. It's essentially a, a large grand coupe. I mean, that's the kind of performance you expect from Porsche 911 turbos. So quite an impressive machine, but an impressive price too at 3.3 uh, million rand. Sure, yeah, that is a lot. But I mean, that is that is that is really fast. I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be that quick. But uh, wow, that's uh, that is quite something. So I mean, if you've got the bucks, um, maybe the M8 is worth looking at. You know, if you're shopping in that uh, category of car. Um, what else has been happening news-wise, Dennis? We've got about two minutes left in this segment. Anything else that's uh, been pinging on your radar? Well, since we are talking about exotic cars, uh, one of the exotics is, as you will know, is the Bentley Continental GT. And now, mm. if you can't if you can't afford the real deal, there is a 1.8 one to eight scale model of the vehicle, which goes for the princely sum of 160,000 Rand. Now, this isn't your, your average toy that you buy off the shelf at the, at the toy shop, but this is a painstakingly detailed scale model that has quilted seats and a stitched steering wheel, and you can customize it with the different paint colors, alloy wheels, and all sorts of things. So it can take pride of place in your man cave or, or your she den or your, or your office. So quite something. If, like I say, if you don't have a few million rand to spend on a real Bentley, you can put 160,000 rand aside for this uh, 78 centimeter long scale model. Very nice. I mean, we often get scale models on car launches. So, you know, here's hoping that we get one of those uh, yeah. on the next <laughs> Bentley launch. <laughs> uh, Dennis, we are out of time on this new segment. Um, and yeah, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined in the studio by a special guest. So, something to look forward to. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. In this segment of the show, we're joined in the virtual studio by Operational Services Executive at Tracker South Africa, Ron Not Craig. Ron, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us on the show. How are you doing? Hi, Tom. Good afternoon to you and the other members on the panel. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm fine, thank you, and weathering the, the extreme circumstances we live under these days, which I'm sure many people are finding interesting and frustrating. I totally agree with you. Um, it is. It's a, it's a crazy time to be alive, but, uh, you know, we're South Africans and we are resilient and uh, we continue to do what we do and just get on with it. Now, Ron. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what your role is at Tracker South Africa? Sure, Tom. Um, so as you said earlier, my so-called title is the executive responsible for operational services. And, and that spans quite a broad spectrum of activities or functions within Tracker, from the 
scheduling of installations of the tracking devices into vehicles, the actual installation of the devices into, into vehicles, the quality assurance um, functions that we perform to make sure that the installations are up to standard, uh, then the monitoring of risk events in our monitoring control center and um, following protocols where we uh, detect that there could be some danger or, or a driver that could be in some danger. To the National Emergency Control Center, which um, looks after all the, the activations, if you like, where a vehicle has been stolen or hijacked, um, a person will either call in there and activate the vehicle and then we will dispatch um, our recovery teams which were also my responsibility so the recovery teams are the the guys out on the ground who liaise with law enforcement agencies such as the south african police service who we've had a partnership with for 23 years and other law enforcement agencies like the metro De police departments provincial traffic uh, and then the private um, security industry as well we also have um, about 140 fitment centers that we're responsible for with 350-odd technicians as well, providing them with admin support and technical support and making sure that they're able to get to the vehicles that our customers have made available for us to do an installation. In a nutshell, Tom, that's what I'm responsible for. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it sounds like you've got your hands full there, um, a lot going on behind the scenes. We've got a few questions to ask you, but before we get to those, um, could you perhaps shed some light about the current state of vehicle crime in South Africa, especially considering that the latest crime stats were released not too long ago? Sure, Tom, I, I can do that. So, yes, we, we've just released our, our financial year 2020 um, vehicle crime stats, um, the crime index, as we call it. Our financial year extends from July uh, to June of, of every year. And I think the one thing that stands out for us is the, is the increase in, in vehicle uh, crime activities, which um, rose by 11% year on year and driven mainly by, by hijackings, which increased by, by 21%. Um, that is, is really alarming for us. And, and one of the things that makes it even more alarming is the fact that so many uh, of our customers or drivers are being taken hostage at the time of hijackings. This, there's definitely been a tendency for the hostage taking to increase over the past two to three years or so. And obviously that is a concern for us because of the associated trauma that the person um, experiences. And Ron, I mean, would you say that um, the increase in hijacking could be because of the lockdown um, in that there are probably fewer cars parking out on our streets um, or out in shopping centers and uh, that uh, criminals now have to go after cars and actually hijack instead of walking around the streets you know looking for cars that have been parked tom we can't put our finger on it exactly um but I think what you have mentioned is certainly one of the, the major factors. We think that the vehicle crime is somewhat more opportunistic at the moment, hence the, the increase in hijackings. Furthermore, a lot of the criminals are quite desperate out there and, and want to try and make up for, for what they've lost during the lockdown when activities declined dramatically. And so they, they are targeting vehicles as well, which are carrying 
fast-moving consumer goods. It could be food or groceries, various things. There's no specific trend as far as that is concerned. But whatever they can hijack a vehicle and get their hands on something that they can convert into cash quite easily, such as the items I've mentioned, or one if you've been shopping or cell phones, etc., then we believe that that's what they are doing. And this has led to an increase in the in the hijacking um, over the past year or so. Okay, interesting stuff. Well, I have a few more questions to ask, but before I get into those, I'm going to pass you on to my colleague, um, Dennis Dropper from Business Day Motor News, because uh, he's got some questions of his own that he wants to run by you. So, Ron, meet Dennis. Yeah, thank you, Tom, and welcome to our podcast, Ron. Nice to have you on board. Thank you, Dennis. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so these uh, hijacking statistics are very interesting and at the same time alarming. Has there been an increasing prevalence of hijacking versus theft over the last few years as modern car security systems become better? Dennis, yes, there has um, been an increase in the hijacking. So, for example, in our 2019 financial year, the split was 45% hijacking and 55% uh, theft. And just prior to lockdown, that had increased where the hijacking was now 50%, so it was 50-50. And then during the lockdown, the hijackings increased even further to 56% versus 44% for theft. But if we go back five years or so, then the the increase in the hijacking is definitely a, um, a trend. It has increased from about 38 40%. Uh, up to now 55, 56% or so of, of the activations. And uh, yes, I do think that the the increased sophistication of the security systems in vehicles, the high-end vehicles especially, is playing a role in the, the hijacking rate increasing. Can you tell me what is Tracker's success rate in recovering clients' stolen or hijacked vehicles? So, so Dennis, the vehicle, the, the success rate there's, there are a lot of different factors that, that make up the, the success rate and that, and that affect it. It's, there's no really simple answer, and the success rate will vary depending on the make and the model of the vehicle and how old it is. In addition to that, there's, there's no real industry standard. We have improved our recovery rate markedly over the past four years, and we believe that we have one of the best, if not the best, recovery rate in the industry. However, because there's no standard, we, we don't go and advertise what our recovery rate is because our methodology of the calculation might vary greatly from some of our competitors. So it really depends on the make and model, the circumstances, how long it takes to report um, the vehicle stolen or hijacked, etc. But um, we believe that we are either up there or, or very close to, to the top, Dennis. Okay, Ron. I was just trying to, was just trying to get a sense of what, uh, you know, whether it is worthwhile for people to, to fit these kind of tracking systems to their vehicles, where there's a far better chance of the vehicle being, being recovered. Yes, certainly we believe there, there is a, a vastly improved chance of the vehicle being recovered. The exercise we did probably a year or 18 months ago indicated that if there was no tracking device fitted to a vehicle, the chances of recovery were probably in the order of somewhere between 10 and 15%. And in discussions with insurance partners and, and people in the industry where there is a tracking device installed, 
the recovery rate possibilities are north of 80% if there is a tracking device fitted. So certainly that, that makes quite a, um, a huge difference in the likelihood of getting the vehicle back just by having a tracking device in there. But I think what one must also emphasize, um, Dennis, is that getting the vehicle back is, is just one aspect of vehicle tracking. Today, the, the more modern devices, the active devices, um, so-called GSM, GPS devices, there are so many other features and benefits attached to those tracking devices that can play a, a huge role in your safety or the safety of your loved ones. You can, for example, share your journey so that if you are by any chance hijacked and taken off course, uh, you know, returning home from work or whatever, your, your loved ones can be alerted and can sound the alarm um, much earlier than, than would have been the case when you are eventually released by the perpetrators. So the, the, I think the stolen vehicle recovery is but one um, of the factors, but I think the safety is even more important these days if you consider what's happening out there. Uh, Ron, one final question from me. Can you provide some insights into what percentage of stolen vehicles are taken across South Africa's borders? That's a discussion that happens all the time in our industry. I talk to many industry players and there are no set uh, or no specific um, statistics on the number of vehicles that are, that are crossing the border. However, based on the feedback that we've had from our ops or recovery crews that are located at some of the border areas, we reckon that about 30% of the vehicles stolen or hijacked um, are crossing our borders. But it, that, there's no empirical evidence that I'm aware of to, to back that up. It, it really is um, based on feedback that we have received through the industry and our experience out there in the field as well. Right, Ron, um, back to me. I have a couple of questions for you. First one, on average, how likely are you to be held hostage by criminals should you be involved in a hijacking? And if you are taken hostage, how likely are you to be physically harmed or even killed? Tom, in our financial year 2019, 31% of our hijackings resulted in customers being taken, taken hostage. And as I said earlier, this was a huge concern for us because there was a big increase compared to the prior year. And it's a concern because of the, all the, the trauma that the victim experiences due to the hostage taking. Uh, we're pleased to say, however, that this has decreased slightly to 26% in our 2020 financial year. And, and that is pleasing. As far as are you likely to be physically harmed? Yes. Um, very often the perpetrators do use uh, violence. Uh, they are, are violent by nature, most of them. And you could be subject to assault. Uh, we have had customers stabbed. We've had customers shot and raped, unfortunately. So the chances of um, being harmed are pretty high. We haven't kept specific statistics relating to that. As far as um, mortality rate is concerned, less than 1% of customers that are taken or drivers that are taken hostage actually die as a result of the injuries or are murdered. Well, that's good to know. And in keeping with this theme, Ron, I wanted to ask you, um, are criminals likely to linger if you manage to preempt a hijacking and react to the threat at hand? So an example, you know, ramming them with your vehicle or firing warning shots at them. If you, if you are seen to be fighting back, um, are they going to fight or are they going to just dis disappear? Tom, 
what the criminal will normally do is the criminal will flee. And the reason for that is that they, they do not want attention to, to be drawn to them and to, to what they're doing. That said, and what I said earlier, they are, are pretty violent by nature. They will respond with, with aggression if aggression is shown towards them. So the best thing is to try and get away, um, but be careful of, um, you know, pulling a weapon or, or trying to ram them, because if they are armed, they, they're going to respond. And, and that could have consequences which, which are not, not great. But, but normally, um, if you preempt a hijacking, they would try and flee the scene because they don't want the attention drawn to themselves. That has been our experience. Okay. All right. Um, Ron, I've got a question from Brenwin Naidu, who should be here, but uh, he was kicked out of our meeting due to uh, connection issues. Uh, and Brenwin asks, how does Tracker safeguard against criminals finding and removing the locating devices placed inside a vehicle. Okay, sorry, Brenman couldn't join us. Um, there are various methods that we employ uh, and teach our technicians, and, and these methods are being reviewed continuously on a continual basis. And we, we learn every day from vehicles that we recover uh, on how to improve our installation methods and, and our techniques. However, uh, clearly, the information is is confidential, as we wouldn't like that to get out into the public space. Uh, we we guard that information uh, very jealously, so I can't go into any specifics or any details, other than to say it's continuously reviewed. Our, our technicians regularly have refresher uh, training in order to bring them up to date with newer techniques and what methods or mod modus operandi the criminals are using. Um, so that they can also apply their minds and, and employ different techniques to, uh, to foil the attempts at, at um, stealing and hijacking the vehicle. All right. And then uh, one final question from Brenwin. He asks, what is the average turnaround time between a person's car being taken and tracker recovering it? Under normal circumstances, that would be sub one hour, probably in the region of 30 minutes or so, but it, it does again depend so much on, on circumstances. There are um, vehicles with active tracking devices, as I mentioned earlier, where if you are very, very close to that vehicle, we, we've had um, recoveries within two minutes. Then again, if the vehicle is, is in a more outlying area, it could take you 30 minutes or 45 minutes to an hour uh, to get to the vehicle to recover it. And then there are instances as well where the criminals go and park the vehicle off to cool off and to see whether anyone comes to retrieve the vehicle, for example, in a basement parking lot, etc. And then it could be there for 12, 24, 48 hours. And, and that could tend to, you know, to distort the average um, recovery time. But generally, it's, it's sub one hour and, and, and probably more in the region of, of 30 minutes as, as an average, all things being equal. Okay. Well, Ron, we've run out of time, unfortunately, and the producer Paige is waving her hands. But thanks again for taking the time out of your schedule to join us here uh, in the Cargumentative Virtual Studio. Uh, you provided us with some fascinating insights into vehicle crime and recovery in South Africa. Tom, thank you very much to you and the team for the opportunity. I, I did enjoy the discussion. Thank you and have a great afternoon. Thanks, Ron.
Folks, that was Ron Not Craig, Operational Services Executive at Tracker South Africa. Right, so we've come to the end of the show, unfortunately. Um, so, from my side, Thomas Faulkner here at the Sunday Times. Thanks again for joining us on Cargumentative. And uh, be sure to join us again next week for another episode. Um, until then, keep it safe out on the roads. Cheers.